Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of the Caught Red Podcast. I am Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. We are your host, and we are just two dog lovers here to talk about some true crime, horror movies, and then obviously our doggos as well. I was just telling Jesse about this cooling mat I've got. I was looking last week on Amazon because when we were up here recording, Derby was hot and she was panting. And I was like, oh, no, because she gets heated really easily when she was four. I think she was four when we started dating. Right. Something yeah, like that. Four, four or five. And we Math. went. Oh, well, it's been a minute. We were at a food truck festival and I had never taken her to something like that before. And I always wanted to. And so we went to downtown Little Rock, and we were wandering around, and I always see dogs. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, no big deal. Well, she ended up getting heat stroke, and I swear to God, this is the day I knew Jessie was the one, because I'm trying to get her out of the sunlight. I'm holding her. Her eyes are bugging out. She's panting. She's stiff as a board. Like, I'm freaking the fuck out. And he comes out of nowhere with, like, a 10-pound bag of ice and just holds it on her, and we get her cooled off and everything, and, uh, I mean, she's fine, obviously. You know, she's going to be 10 this year. And um, I want to say, like, like a week later, she ended up having a stroke, like an actual stroke. And I was freaking out. Of course, that was just a side effect of her having the heat stroke. And then even um, over the last few years, I think she's only ever had, like, one or two other ones. Every couple of years, she'll have one. Like, she had one last November, yeah, not this past November, but the November, November before, before that. right. So she's not prone to having seizures it's a, often. It's but an Australian Shepherd thing, though, too. Yeah, they are really susceptible to having seizures and strokes. But but that day in North Little Rock, it was, what, like 70, 80 degrees outside? It wasn't was, too hot, but... And there was actually little doggy pools that yeah. dogs were out there playing in. And water everywhere, but... The pavement was hot. Probably was most yeah, of that. And we walked for... We walked a lot. Yeah, 20 minutes so, or so. It was very terrifying to watch. So I, I always make sure she doesn't get too hot. I, I buy her all kinds of cooling vests. Like there's this one that I'll put her in during the summertime and you soak it in water. And you don't necessarily have to freeze it, but I put it in the freezer or the fridge for a little bit and get it even colder. And then you zip her up in it and then you attach your leash to it. And we can do WLKs when it's a little warmer. But She if loves that. But if it's like up in like, you know, 80s plus here with our humidity, I just, I can't do it. I don't want to risk her have another one. So anyway, back to what I brought that up for was I have this cooling mat that I was looking at some on Amazon and I ended up going to PetSmart last week for some dog food. And they had the Acadia Trails brand had a cooling mat. And it is so freaking cool. It was like 15 bucks. And Derby doesn't even care about no, it. No, she doesn't. She don't care. <laughs> Falco's just sprawled out on it right now. But Jesse thinks it's made of magic. I don't know how it works. That's crazy. Because it just stays, stays cool. cold. Yeah. It's very cool. So I'm, if y'all need some cooling mats, they have some at PetSmart. And they zip up. So when you're done with them, you can fold it and zip it. And it's got like little handles so you can put it away. I just need a human size one for our bed now. Yes. Yes, you do. I don't understand how you get so warm. I'm over here in socks and a sweatshirt <laughs> and a dog or two. I was trying to think of things we watched this week. You... We literally just put trimmers on <laughs> Yeah. while Jesse was finishing up his stuff because he will be entertaining us today with a weird one. Did you finish The Watchful Eye? I'm caught up. Okay, so, so they're still making more? Yeah, there's like 10 episodes, uh, seven are available, and I finished, I've literally binged The Watchful Eye. I was, I'm very intrigued. Like, it's, it kind of reminds me of, like, Pretty Little Liars or shows like that, like teenage-ish, you know, teenage-geared-ish kind of shows. But, I mean, I liked it. I'm, I'm going to follow it through to the end because I'm this far now, so I'm committed. It lost me after, like, episode one. I was like, no, I'm you good. You weren't even watching it. I was trying to, but you, it just, eh. You were reading, and I would much rather you read. Her voice was getting on my nerves. She's like Latina. She's... No, it just didn't sound like it was natural. Love. <laughs> Whatever. We did watch, in honor of the gypsy story I told last week, we started the act on Hulu. Yes, with Joey King and... 
Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Kissing we, Kate Barlow from the Holes movie. Yes. That's how I recognize her. Yeah, you're like, kissing Kate? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? It took me a minute. Because I watched Holes so many times growing up, back when Shia LaBeouf was normal. Yeah. He's not representing us very well over here. <laughs> He's doing better, though. That interview he did with the John... Bernthal? Yeah, that was real good. I liked that. Nice little heart-to-heart they had there, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we didn't finish the act. I think we still have like two episodes left or so. But, I mean, you get... We got the gist yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. I was getting a little drawn out. And the guy that plays her boyfriend, Nick, I mean, he's just... I feel like they could have done the whole thing in one movie. Yes, I thought it than, was supposed to be one movie. But... Rather than eight episodes or however long. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's whatever works Kind of like them. Run. Yeah. See, I'd rather, I'd like to rewatch that. That was a good one. The woman from American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Sarah yeah. Paulson that yeah. you don't like. Yeah, her. I ordered us two Deadbolt mystery boxes. More like one and a half. One is an actual size, and then I got a mini for us to do. And then we also got in our box from... Who's Next Mystery. Yeah, we're yes. stocked up and ready to go now. Yes, so maybe, what did I say, Wednesday when I got back from work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might have to knock one of those out. There's the Who's Next looks complicatedly thick. There's a lot in that box. Combination thing in there, and it's it's got got a flask for, like, I guess it's uh, evidence. Oh, I thought maybe we were getting a collector's item. I mean, it's not like we're going to send it back. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mind. It's just got a Lonnie in there. Yeah, I'm excited to, to start one this week. Been staring at that one on the kitchen table for a hot minute because I like to have a backup. So if we do one, then we still have one to do. So now we have some to do later. I'm excited. So I said Jesse is doing our case this week. It's a weird one. Get ready for a wild ride. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready, to be honest. Just the few things that he's mentioned, I'm like, the fuck? Yeah, so I, saw, I'm ready. I saw this on Facebook like last week, and I was like, this is going to the top of my list because I've got a list of about 20-something names. Mm-hmm. And I said, nope, this one's, this one's first. So Yeah, he tried sending me a link from Facebook, and it wouldn't load anything. I was like, I don't know what you're trying to send me. He goes, don't worry about it then. And I was like, but now I need to know something. I'll keep it in the dark until now. So So I'm ready. All right. Let's go, love. My sources are Herald Democrat, NBCNews.com, Morbidology.com, the Texas Tribune, and the Texas Monthly. I'm going to start off by saying just a heads up for anyone listening that has dealt with or dealing with mental health problems. This one involves a man that definitely has some issues. Some would say he was let down by the system, and we'll definitely get into that. A hundred percent, you cannot ignore the fact that he did what he did, and there should definitely be justice for that. But there was definitely chances for him to get the help he needed, and there were times that he looked for that help, at least half-heartedly. At first, I was thinking maybe I shouldn't cover this case because I may end up ruffling a few feathers, but the hell with that. (laughs) Let's do it. I don't have much, if any, experience with mental health issues. What I do know is that there are thousands and thousands of people out there with mental health problems that don't go around killing people. So that is no excuse for committing such crimes. Agreed. And I don't know about you, Megan, but I've been fortunate enough to not really know anyone really dealing with something like that. I don't really know anyone that has had suicidal thoughts. Or have at least spoken out about it or anything. I don't think so either. I've had, you know, friends with other issues. Yeah. A lot of them keep it to themselves anyways. I always think about the Robin Williams quote. I can't say it word for word off the top of my head, but it was something like, the ones who are happy are the ones you need to worry about because the ones that, like, tell you they're sad are... Girls... Ripley. 
not to have a fight. But the ones that are like, they actually actively tell you that something's wrong, you don't really have to worry about because that's like them reaching out. So it's the ones that are quiet and seem happy are the ones that are more likely to need help. Trying to fight it off by themselves. Right. Rather than getting help from friends mm-hmm. or anybody like that. Because uh, I, yeah. I think that was kind of like what he was saying about himself. It was, yeah. I feel like having covered this case, I've been a little more educated on the topic, but man, I will never understand why people do the things that they do. And we were just talking about that today, but in a different way, like how people drive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like we were leaving, we were throwing some stuff out at a dumpster and this person in front of us, they went straight through the light and turned left into this gas station, which would have meant they would have had traffic issues instead of turning left at the light and going right and going right into the gas station. It's like, why would you go that extra step knowing you'll be stopped by other yeah. cars? Well, it's, I don't want to bring up a whole nother issue, but it's probably the same people that wear masks while they're driving in a car by themselves. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Or that lady last night, we could have walked out of the oh. restaurant at 8 o'clock on the dot right when we closed, but we had this to-go order that. <laughs> Y'all close at 8 o'clock every night. We close at 8. She, she knew stopped. your number because she must have looked it up online, which shows <laughs> the address. Yes, this woman, she calls. We take we stop taking takeout orders 15 minutes till closing because that normally gives people enough time to come before we can lock the doors. And we took this order, and my brother was like, yeah, give us like 10 minutes. She's like, well, it might take me longer. And he's like, well, we close at 8, so, you know, just do your best to get here as soon as possible. Well, 8 o'clock rolls around, and she's not there, but she calls. I saw her number on the caller ID, so I answered it. And she said, are y'all not at your Sherwood location anymore? And I said, no, not for like 15 years, ma'am. And she was like, oh, well, I thought you were here. And I was like, no, no, we're in Mom L. Now she's like, oh, I saw that address too. And I was like, that's because it's attached to the phone number you're calling. Like, what are you doing? Well, so like, we ended up leaving at like 8.20 or 8.30. But we could have, I could have been home by the time we left the restaurant had she just looked at our number and then looked at the address attached to it. So. Yeah, it's like. It's like, what? And she even lives very close to our restaurant. <laughs> so she had to go past us. And go all the way into Sherwood, which is, I mean, it's only about like a 10-minute drive, give or take, on the interstate where we used to be. But then she had to go all the way there and then all the way back. And it was like, ma'am, I feel so sorry for you. It's like after 15 years, I'm just automatically somehow craving grandpas for the first time, too. (laughs) But yeah, I'll never understand why people do the things they do. I'll try, but man, this particular case... Just blows my mind. Unless you walk a day in their shoes, you don't know what they're going through. And when you read about people that hear voices in their heads or see things that no one else sees, you think, no way, not possible. But I guess maybe it is. Yeah, the very first book I ever read about um, hearing voices or multiple personalities and stuff was a book called Sybil. And she had like... Oh, I watched that. Oh, you've seen... You know what I'm talking... You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, that was like the very first book of like psychology-esque things yeah. that I ever read. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I, I've told you about my my Aunt Robin, my mom's sister, right? Yeah, a little bit. So for those out there, my mom's sister, she's, she's passed now. But when they were moving her from Michigan down to a home in, I want to say Hot Springs, Somewhere down here in Arkansas. I don't remember exactly where. But they were packing all her stuff up and they were moving her. And they found these journals. And inside these journals were like five or six distinctively different handwritings. Some were childlike. Some were adult. I mean, um, the type of language used was also very different. Wow. So they knew she had multiple personality disorder. And Did you meet her ever? I was really little. Yeah. I was very little whenever I did. That's so it's, crazy. It's a real, yeah, I mean, it's a real it's thing. Real. But yeah, unless you walk a day in their shoes, you don't know what they're going through. 
and I wouldn't ever want to walk in the shoes of Andre Thomas. Now, Andre Thomas was born March 17, 1983, in Muskogee County, Oklahoma. His parents were Rochelle and Danny Thomas. Danny, he wasn't around much at all. Andre had five brothers, and Rochelle raised them mostly all by herself. Wow. I guess, quote-unquote, raised them. She was no saint. She was an alcoholic. She suffered from depression. And she oftentimes would walk around the house half naked with all the boys in the house, mm-hmm. telling her to put some damn clothes on, but she wouldn't listen because she was just completely out of it most days. So she's probably just drunk walking around. Yeah. And she had been sexually abused in the past as well. She heard voices, and she believed that God was giving her special messages. Oh, no. Really, their whole family had experienced substance abuse and violence. Just giving you one example, 10 years before Andre was born, his uncle was shot to death by his grandfather. So when Thomas was young, his his home oftentimes didn't even have running water, heat, or electricity because Rochelle couldn't hold down a job. Mm. From the start, he didn't really have a chance that most kids have. Right. He didn't have the father figure around. His brothers weren't much help. A couple of them had mental health issues, too. That's just some sad poor genetics, too, right there, it sounds mm-hmm. like. His mom was seen numerous times at the Harmony Baptist Church filling up buckets of water to bring back to the house. Mm. Yeah. There are so many situations like this out there, though. Some some people have the motivation and determination and sheer will to make it out of these situations while others will fall victim to it. And I think a lot of it has to do with that attitude that they have. Like so many people walk around with a victim's attitude that gets them nowhere in life. Yeah, that it that reminds me a lot of um, one of our waitresses. She um, she's actually in rehab right now, and she's she didn't have a bad upbringing. She actually went to the same high school as we did, so she went to a private high school. She's her grandmother's favorite child, which also in turn means that she was babied and pampered too. Mm-hmm. And she's a great person, and I'm glad that she's going through what she's going through to get better. But, you know, for a while there, you could tell something was going on because she never would play the victim card until towards the end. Like saying, oh, it's not me, it's not my fault. But, you know, in actuality, it is something she did to herself. Why she was blaming others for, right. for it? Yeah, yeah. Instead of just saying, oh, it's my fault that I can't get clean. It's your, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm like I said, I'm, I'm glad that she is getting the help that she needs. Because yeah, she's good. a very wonderful person. And I miss joking with her. So, Well, at first, when Andre was young, he seemed like he might have a bright future. In Sherman, Texas, his Sunday school teacher at Harmony Baptist Church, her name was Miss Wanda Banks, she said that he was a very curious kid. He was very smart. He would always answer her questions before she even finished asking them. He was always excited to talk about Bible stories that he had memorized. Harmony Baptist was like a second home for Andre during his troubled childhood. Wanda Banks used to drive Andre and his brothers home on the church bus after Sunday school. And knowing their situation, on cold days, she would make sure to take her time drop them off last so they could stay warm just a little while longer. You know, no heat, I'm sure they running water the at their house. the best jackets or anything, too. Probably not, yeah. Can't be, can't be easy. But she said that Andre never complained. She said that he was a very respectful kid, just a sweet kid. She said that he could have been so brilliant with the right set of circumstances. Things started to change for Andre, though, when he was around 10 years old. He would tell his classmates that he would hear voices. He oh, said no. He said that he heard angels and demons arguing in his head. And this is at 10 years old. That's literally why my eyes are so big. Yeah. So auditory hallucinations, they're commonly experienced by those with psychiatric disorders and can, can be seen in up to 75% of people with schizophrenia. But like with his upbringing... 
he never got diagnosed Mm-mm. until later on in life. So on average, a child can distinguish the difference between their external reality and their internal world mm-hmm. around the age of three. Okay, that's cool to know. So for like imaginary friends, for example, it's not the same as what Andre was going through. <laughs> Those hallucinations are evoked by the child and can be controlled, whereas his couldn't be controlled. No, he, he might have thought... It was normal. Like his mom talked to herself, I'm sure. He had siblings, obviously, that were going through stuff. He might just be like, oh, everybody talks to themselves. Maybe. I mean, they're, it's more common in households that are, have dysfunction and, and disruption like that. Yeah, it's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. Or uh, what was that movie we watched that you said you would have liked if it ended like 15 minutes sooner? You remember the kid with the little invisible friend, but it really wasn't an invisible friend. It was like a monster, a demon. I can't remember the but name. But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name. That was a tra- traumatic household that that child experienced it mm-hmm. in. So, yeah, I see that. But it goes undetected, like, when they're younger than seven years old because you don't really have the ability to communicate their feelings. Mm-hmm. Due to limited cognitive development. So there were times when he was just a normal kid, though, and the voices weren't a problem. He'd ride his bike around and hang out with other kids like nothing was wrong. But then they'd show up again. I guess thinking it would help get rid of the voices, Andre started drinking and smoking weed at the age of 13. God. He also had attempted suicide twice by cutting his wrists. He started getting in trouble with the law, too. He had a series of arrests when he was 15, once for stealing a car. He was placed in the juvenile detention center where he was on suicide watch. And once he was released from there, and once he was released from there, he didn't receive any mental health treatment. When Andre was in ninth grade, he was dating this girl named Laura Boren. She was a year younger than him. He ended up getting her pregnant. And How old? He was ninth grade. She was eighth grade. So like 14, 15-ish. Oh, my God. Yeah. I couldn't even, I didn't even have my period until I was like 17. <laughs> I couldn't even get pregnant. <laughs> that was gymnastics, I assume. Yes. Laura gave birth to Andre Jr. in August of 1999. So, yeah. He was 16, and she was a year younger. But still, yeah. oh, my God. At such a young age, yeah. This is how the problem never gets solved. You, you grow up poor, and then you, you you're just having babies so young, no job. You're still in high school. You're broke. I mean, you're ch- then your child's going to end up doing the same thing over and over again. That's so sad. Well, he ends up dropping out of school in the ninth grade, Gets his GED, so he starts working two jobs, one of those being a busboy at Red Lobster. This was to try and support Laura and the baby. He's got good intentions. Uh, I give him props for getting his GED, too. Yeah. And they got married at Harmony Baptist on Andre's 18th birthday on March 17th, 2001. Laura was 17, so I assume she needed her parents to consent to that. The age of consent varies from state to state. Some can get married younger than that. Just depends on how the state sees it. I think, I but think probably the, I, I would still assume they would want yeah. to give their permission. She's under eighteen. Yeah, I think the law has changed in Texas since then. But back then, I think she needed consent. To her parents, Andre appeared to be charming and smart young man. Maybe that's what this is. What I was thinking. Maybe he's just living two different lives. Like trying to act normal in front of them, and then... Mm-hmm. You don't know what goes on behind doors. Yeah, or inside his head. His sickness was probably eating him alive. Laura's father, Paul, said that Andre was extremely good at presenting his best side. Hmm. When Laura first started dating Andre, they didn't know about the voices he was hearing or that he had been drinking and smoking weed. They knew about his run-ins with the law, though, but they thought he was a smart kid with a bright future. After all, he was in the gifted and talented classes growing up. 
He spent so much time in their home that they considered him part of the family. And there was another time when he was 17 that he tried to commit suicide by scratching the skin off his wrist with his fingernails. What? Yeah. Well, they briefly lived at his mother's house while they were married, but she kicked them out like two weeks after they got married, so that didn't last long. Andre moved in with his brother, and Laura and the baby moved back in with her parents. Probably for the best. Yeah. And then about four months into their marriage, they separated. I'm sure Andre hoped having a family would maybe lessen his hallucinations and suicidal thoughts, or maybe they would eventually stop altogether. But when they broke up, the voices just got louder and louder. He suffered from psychotic delusions, and he started obsessing over the book of Revelation in the Bible. Oh, no. Yeah. Laura's parents knew that he was struggling. He'd come over asking for money, and Laura's father would give him something to do to earn 20 bucks. But Andre's behavior was a concern to everyone. At first, he was getting to see his son on a pretty regular basis after they split up. But when Laura found out that Andre couldn't pay his utility bills, she started to not let Andre Jr. over to his house. And she was working hard and raising her child while Andre was drinking heavy, smoking weed, and going in and out of jail. And he was really starting to get out of hand. He dyed his hair like Dennis Rodman colors, <laughs> like it would change all the time, like going from like all green to just out of control. And he talked nonstop about apocalyptic nonsense. He once ran into a church, dunked his head into the uh, holy water because he said he was possessed by demons. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was still working these odd-end jobs, but just barely getting by. He had this job in a position that included digging graves at the municipal cemetery, and he had warned his boss that he was wanting to kill himself multiple times. And there was times at work he would just climb down into the freshly dug graves and lay there motionless on the cold dirt. In January of 2003, Andre was 19 years old, and he moved in with his brother, Brian, who had just been released from a state mental hospital himself, and they just fought constantly, and most of the time it got violent. On one particular night, they got into it because Andre's music was too loud, and Brian said it was sending evil spirits through the walls. Brian went into Andre's room and started hitting him in the head, and Andre grabbed an 8-inch long kitchen knife and stabbed his brother in the back. Brian ended up going back to the mental hospital, and Andre was taken to jail where he stayed for three months until a grand jury declined to issue an indictment. What? Yeah, how crazy is that? I would have thought they would take him in for a mental eval as they, well. Yeah, they both should have went there He for should sure. have been like, well, the music was loud because I was trying to tune out the voices in my head. If he had just said something like that, they probably would have taken him. I guess, or the they just don't care. I don't know. Laura had been seeing this other guy named Bryant Hughes for a while at this point, and they had, and they had a child together named Leia Hughes. I like the name Leia, like Star Wars. Was well, it spelled L E Y H A? No. <laughs> they were living in an apartment together, and they seemed to be doing just fine. Andre was obviously not happy about all that, and he was obsessed with trying to get Laura back. But day by day, he was getting sicker and not getting the help and treatment he needed. By early 2004, he started to silence himself by putting duct tape over his mouth, sometimes two or three days at a time. He would tell friends that he felt like he was living the same day over and over and over again. Andre had come to believe that Laura was Jezebel and his son was the Antichrist. Oh my God. Yeah, so I wasn't too familiar with Jezebel, so I had to look into that a little bit. Apparently, she is the wickedest of women in the Bible, and Jezebel is a spirit assigned to take down the generals of God. The spirit silences apostles and prophets. Every time the devil wants to eliminate a man or a woman of God, he will send the two strongest spirits, the Jezebel spirit and the Antichrist. Wow, I didn't even know that. I didn't either. The, well, it's been so long since I've been in school being taught this kind of stuff, too. Yeah. The spirit of Jezebel can be seen operating in communities, in a person, or in a ministry. 
And in the Bible, she wasn't a spirit. She was a, a murderer, prostitute, and enemy of God. So she worshipped Baal, like B-A-L, or B-A-A-L. Mm-hmm. She had married the king Ahab and brought false gods to his kingdom. And their marriage was strictly political, but she released a curse over the land, and that was why God sent Elijah to destroy the darkness created by the spirit. So that's just crazy. But yeah, he thought Laura was Jezebel. That's just how nuts he was. In the spring of 2004, Andre was still abusing alcohol and mixing it with chrysidin. What is that? Well, it can cause, it's like a cough syrup. Oh, okay. And it can cause hallucinations. So if you're mixing it with alcohol, that's even worse. It's I read that it was similar to like how you feel when you're on PCP. I wouldn't know what that was like, but well, I, I know what PCP <laughs> does to people, yeah. Yeah, like I've seen videos of people on PCP and they get tased by the police and then they just keep coming forward. Right. Like, like Alan on The Hangover. He's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Hit him again. Yeah, crazy. Bump up the volume. <laughs> And I read this one case, I didn't go into too much depth, but it's about a guy named Matt Phelps, and he had trouble sleeping, so he took Chrysidin to help him fall asleep, but he took way more than he should have. And he woke up from a dream, turned the lights on, and his wife was dead on the floor. Holy shit. Yeah, he had stabbed her to death, and he had no memory of killing her. So... That's almost like, well, not almost like, but similar to when you hear people talk about like their ambient stories when they get up and sleepwalk and don't remember it. Or like my grandmother used to eat out of the fridge when she was on Ambien. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You've never heard about the, the Ambien I've stuff? I've heard of, I think it was Kevin James. Uh, Joe Rogan was talking about it. He, Kevin James liked Ambien and he would... Uh, he would do the same thing. He'd walk to his fridge and eat a bunch of food, and then he'd, like, leave the fridge open, and then he'd wake up later, and he thought somebody, like, broke into the house and ate all his food or something. Well, that sounds like the my favorite story to tell about when I was a dispatcher. Uh, I used to work the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shifts, and, of course, everything wild happens at night, right? Lord. And this woman used to call in so frequently that when she would, they would just kind of patch her through and let her just talk because they knew it wasn't a big deal. But she would wake up and she would call and say someone had broke in to her apartment because there'd be food and scraps and stuff everywhere, even though she's locked from the inside, right? Windows and doors. And I remember this one particular call she did saying how someone came in and ate her watermelon and was spitting the seeds everywhere. She said she woke up and found, like, the watermelon seeds all over her apartment. <laughs> and I just remember, uh, I think her name was Lori. She was the call taker that night. And she, you know, puts on, um, she puts on the call log, like, you know, watermelon seeds everywhere. And then, like, Dash, Ambien, like, because we knew so- what she was doing. We knew it was her. We knew no one had broken in. But, of course, obviously, you still have to send an officer out. But I'll never forget that story when she's like, someone's been eating my watermelon, spitting seeds everywhere. I just put her on speaker whenever you see her number come through. We all knew who she was. She'd call like clockwork almost every night. Oh, that's funny. On March 5th, a friend escorted Andre to a mental health clinic. This was the second time in two weeks, actually, that he had tried to get mental health treatment. Andre told the staff that he wanted to kill himself. He told them that life was too much for him and that he wanted to die right now. He was muttering illogically and threatening to jump in front of a bus if they didn't help him. On both occasions, staff members at the medical facilities were so worried that his psychosis made him a threat to himself or others that they sought emergency detention warrants for him. But by the time they could do anything about it, Andre had walked out the building. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it's like they're trying to help, but you've, you're like half-ass wanting to get help. you got to be full in on trying to get help. That that goes back to there's only our so, waitress. Yeah, there's only so much you can 
they can do for you. Yeah, you have to want it yourself. That's the biggest thing with stuff like that and addiction, all that. You have to want to be helped. Yeah. Either that or it's court-ordered and you're forced. Yeah. I mean, at this point, though, you're thinking he's definitely in danger to himself. He, he stabs somebody yeah, in the back. That, too. He's a danger to others. It's like they should know his history. About three weeks later, Andre stabbed himself in the chest with a knife, trying to kill himself. Obviously, he failed, and he walked into the emergency room at the Texoma Medical Center and told a nurse he had cut himself attempting to cross over into heaven. The nurse wrote down that Thomas was psychotic. A doctor, William Bowen, examined him, and Andre just rambled on about a hidden message on a dollar bill and, and the New World Order. After x-rays determined that the stab wound was not serious, Dr. Bowen applied for an emergency detention order to keep Andre hospitalized. But by the time he returned to the room, Andre had walked out of the hospital. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say that the system failed him when he doesn't give them a chance to help them. Yeah. But at the same time, don't, don't leave him alone in there. Like, give, at least have somebody there watching him. I don't know. Yeah, I guess either that or just wait until the time that he gets arrested and they can, like, handcuff him to the table, I guess. I don't know. That's really hard because, I mean, like I said, if he's not, like, sent there by the courts or something or if he's not, like, I don't know, like, convulsing or, you know, freaking out that they have to strap him down, yeah, I mean, he's free to leave on his own volition. Right, if he's voluntarily going to the hospital mm -hmm. on his he own. He can voluntarily Leave. Leave, yeah. Well, two days later, March 27th, Thomas went to Laura's third-floor apartment in Sherman, Texas, and kicked the door open. Her boyfriend was at work, but Laura and the two kids were home. Laura was in the living room. Andre ran at her with a knife and stabbed her to death. He cut open her chest and pulled out a portion of her lung, thinking he was removing her heart. Ugh. Then he went to the other room, shared by Andre Jr., who was four years old at the time, and 13-month-old Leah. He fatally stabbed both of them and cut their hearts out of their chests. Oh, my God. He brought three different knives with him because he thought there were demons inside the victims, and if their blood mixed, then the demons might survive. What is that logic? I don't what? know. He's out of his mind. He then stabs himself three times in the chest and went into the living room and just lay down next to Lauren expecting to die. Oh, my God. Mom can't listen to this one either. Yeah, that is just insane. When he realized that he wasn't, in fact, going to die, he put the three organs in his pockets and walked the five miles to his home. I want to. I know that they share a child, but why does he have her address to begin with? Why? I would not have told him. I guess she wasn't scared that he I was going to endanger their lives. But what? And he also left a one dollar bill next to Lauren's body. It was folded lengthwise, exposing the pyramid with the eye in the middle. Ah, oh, Illuminati. Yeah, he'd been obsessing over that. And he believed that the eye was evil. And when he got home, he put the three knives in the sink and changed out of his bloody clothes. And he put the organs in a bag and threw them in the trash. So he really didn't stab himself that well. If yeah. he's able to walk five miles home. And then just put the knives in the sink like that's where they're supposed to go. And he changes his clothes and does all that. What? Yeah, all these attempts to commit suicide were botched. Really big Poorly. fails. Yeah. So he called Laura's parents and they didn't answer, but he left a voicemail. He said, Um, Sherry, this is Andre. I need y'all's help. Something bad is happening to me and it keeps happening and I don't know what is going on. I need some help. I think I'm in hell. I need help. Somebody needs to come help. I need help bad. I'm desperate. I'm afraid to go to sleep. So when you get this message, come by the house, please. 
no mention of their daughter right. or grandkids. Right, but when when uh, Laura's dad heard this message, of course, he went straight to Laura's apartment. Oh, my God. Yeah. Could you imagine finding that scene? Oh, that's awful, yeah. I mean, he found Laura first. Yeah. And then he went and saw his uh, grandson laying down with his, I think, his face down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Andre turned himself in after this to the Sherman Police Department. He told them that he thought God wanted him to kill the victims. He was on a mission from God to free their hearts from demons. The pathologist, Sheila Spotswood, described the injuries that the victims received. She said that Laura had suffered a large V-shaped stab wound to her chest, as well as many other stab wounds. She said that Laura suffered from internal stab wounds, too, and that the stabs were delivered with such force that they went through her ribs. <gasps> the children suffered similar wounds. In addition, all of their ribs had been cut open. So, yeah, I mean, he was intentionally trying to cut their hearts out. Mm-hmm, because yep. you got to break the sternum. Just ca carving through their chest, basically. Ugh, that Terrible. is horrible. She revealed that her death would have required more than one stabbing motion, meaning that the victim would have been alive long enough to know exactly what was going on. This was Laura. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, she probably tried to fight back a little bit, but the children were asleep. The story of the murders were on the front page of the Herald Democrat for days. This tragedy really got to the town of Sherman. It was a town of about 45,000 people located about 65 miles from Dallas. So it's small enough for everybody to have their attention on this. Yeah. People were very upset and calling for the ultimate punishment of death for Andre. There was a memorial put together outside of Laura's apartment where people brought flowers and teddy bears. Their funeral was at Fairview Baptist Church, and there was an overflow of people. There had to be extra seats brought in for all the people mourning their deaths. After having emergency surgery to treat his own stab wounds, Andre was taken to the Grayson County Jail to be held there. His behavior just got more and more psychotic, which, at this point, you gotta think, how could it get any worse? How old was he at this? He was 21. Okay. Yes. God, that's still so young. It really is. I mean, your brain doesn't even fully develop till you're 25. Well, with his own bare hands, he reaches into his right eye socket and pulls out his own eyeball. Ugh. And he was heard quoting Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, which says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So he took that quite what? he took that quite literally. How do you just pull your own eyeball out with your bare hands? That I is insane. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I don't uh, no. That's got to be so painful. I mean, that was 5 days after he was arrested. He was taken to the hospital, and he asked over and over again to see Laura. He wanted to ask her for forgiveness. He said that the children had absolved him, but she would not. So it's like he's thinking they're still alive, maybe. Yeah, like or, nothing ever happened. Or he's bullshitting. I don't know. If he was in some psychotic state when he killed them and he's back out of it, yeah. then he probably has no idea he even really did it. If he's on that chrysidin, though. He probably would have detoxed by now if he's been Oh, yeah, in. after five days. Andre would often be heard having conversations with himself, laughing manically while in his cell at the Grayson County Jail. After his eyeball removal, he was required to wear mittens and restraints to prevent him from harming himself anymore. Prison staff also took his Bible away from him, which is probably a good probably idea. Probably the best, yeah. yes. The doctor that treated him said that he had only ever heard of one other case where someone intentionally removed their own eyeball. Psychologists interviewed him to see if he would be competent to stand trial. They diagnosed him with schizophrenia, and he was declared incompetent to stand trial and was admitted into North Texas State Hospital in June of 2004. Is that all that he ends up being diagnosed with, or, or what? 
Yes. That's all I could find anyways for now. Yeah, and then I was looking up, because you said he's 21, it says that in most people with schizophrenia, symptoms generally start in the mid to late 20s, but it can start later up to the mid 30s. Schizophrenia is considered early onset when it starts before the age of 18. The onset of it in children younger than 13 is extremely rare. Hmm. Well, I'm sure the drug abuse didn't help. Right. Like um, this... he, he was drinking two 40-ounce beers every day, too. Yeah, a lot of the triggers on this other site, the National Health Society... The exact causes of schizophrenia are unknown. Research suggests a combination of physical, genetic, psychological, and environmental factors can make a person more likely to develop the condition. Some are more prone to it, and a stressful or emotional event might trigger an episode. Hmm. Well, his brother had schizophrenia, too. Yeah, so it's definitely And then it sounds genetic. like her, his mom probably had it, too, but mm-hmm. was probably never diagnosed. During a second interview... Andre refused to speak and wrote down his answers instead. He told the psychiatrist that his mouth had gotten him in trouble before, so he wasn't talking. But he would laugh during inappropriate times, and he drew pictures of winged women and wrote down, there's no telling how much I've broken her heart already. The doctor mentioned in his report that he wasn't 100% convinced that the illness was organic. He suggested that other psychologists evaluate whether he was faking or exaggerating symptoms of mental illness to stall his trial. Hmm. So faking mental illness or malingering, mm-hmm. is that what it's called in legal terms, specifically to avoid trial? Yeah. I don't see how he was faking. I mean, He gouged his... Yeah, there's there's no way. And he thinks his lady is still alive. Yeah, if he was if he was faking, that's the extreme of extremes. Then he had to be doing it his whole damn life. Yeah. After 47 days in the hospital, psychiatrist Joseph Black wrote to the court that Andre had drug-induced psychosis saying that he was competent and that he might attempt to exaggerate his mental illness by engaging in self-harm. And Andre's defense attorney at the time didn't even think to object this. He later said that he regretted. Yeah. Yeah, so they're going to trial. But before the trial, Andre was offered a deal If he pled guilty, he would be sentenced to life in prison with the chance of parole after 40 years, avoiding the death sentence. And now his father and his aunt encouraged him to take this deal because there was so much talk around town saying this son of a bitch who murdered Laura and her children should be executed. They didn't think there was a chance in hell he wouldn't get the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Now, his mother, on the other hand, told him to not accept the offer because Jesus would take care of him. Oh, my gosh. She's not helping. No. But Andre followed his mother's advice and pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Now, that's a strategy that rarely works because jurors are often under the mistaken impression that a defendant who is found not guilty by reason of insanity is returned to the streets. But... That's not the case. They're usually like put into like a mental, mental hospital. hospital for a long amount of time, if not for the rest of their life. On February 15th, 2005, Andre Thomas's murder trial began. Andre looked a lot different than that teenager that the Borns were so used to seeing come over to their house. He was heavier, probably a side effect of the antipsychotic meds that he was taking. He had a black patch over his right eye. He was squeezing this red stress ball, just squeezing it to death. I wonder if he thought that was his eyeball he was squeezing. (laughs) And sanity remained the main concern throughout the proceedings in the courtroom. It just looked like Andre was doped up out of his mind. Well, yeah, they're probably afraid he's going to attack or eat somebody. He He just sat there in this unresponsive state and snacked on his Skittles even during some of the most graphic testimonies. The I, know, I know you said he's on antipsychotics while he's, you know, sitting in the courtroom probably, but that's one of the 
one of the symptoms of schizophrenia is the negative symptoms, saying how there's like a lack of emotion, doesn't make eye contact, loses interest. You know, I'm sure him sitting there just kind of zoned out. Could be the drugs, but it could also still be his schizophrenia. Probably. The state, they claim that Thomas's mental illness was caused or worsened by drug use, and they cited Texas law that invalidates an insanity defense if the mental condition was the result of voluntary intoxication. Get that? I mean, they're not wrong. It is worsened by it, but it did not cause it. Right. That's what I think. The defense argued that the removal of his eyes showed that he was insane. State said that the eye incident was indicative of an impulsive act rather than insanity. The trial lasted three weeks. At times, the courtroom would get so packed with spectators that they'd have to open up another room to fit them all in. Oh, my God. Are they selling hot dogs like (laughs) they did for Ma's? Oh, yeah, probably. The Boren family was absent during most of the trial that involved any of the horrific images of their daughter and grandchildren, which... Understandable. Yeah. The jury decided with the prosecution, and it took them only 45 minutes to decide that Andre Thomas must pay with his life. Thomas was convicted of capital murder and was given a death sentence. Judge James Fry asked Thomas if he had anything to say... Andre looked towards Laura's family and said, I want to say I'm sorry for what I have done. I wish I could take it back. I am terribly sorry. Laura's father responded saying, Stop seeking forgiveness from your victims because you destroyed their ability to forgive when you stole their lives. The only person who can forgive you now is God. I hope you find forgiveness before they put that needle in your arm. He also told him that he hopes that he takes being executed like a man and realizes it is what he deserves. He was sent to Livingston, Texas, to the Polunsky unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice Prison. That's where they house the male death row inmates. Okay. So death row offenders receive no programming and are not allowed to work. They receive their meals through these little gates in the cell doors. Like you see on TV? Yeah. Whenever an offender is taken from his cell, such as like when the offender goes to take a shower, they're strip searched every time. They receive individual recreation in a caged area. One inmate described the mentality of the death row unit as kenneled until it's your time. When a person walks on to death row, there is a sense of change. It's just a different atmosphere. So spending 23 hours a day in isolation or whatever it is probably didn't make his mental problems any better, right? Yeah, if you weren't insane before, you would be then. Yeah, you're confined to this 6-foot by 10-foot cell and isolated from everybody just staring at the wall. Well, he had friends in his brain. It's fine. Yeah. On Texas's death row, there's more than 20% of the 290 inmates are considered mentally ill. But honestly, anybody that kills somebody, I feel, has some sort of mental illness. Same. There's got to be something. It's got to take some kind of crazy mind to want to kill somebody. Especially, like, if it's premeditated, I don't think you're quite as mentally ill because you've planned it out. But, like, I feel like his was more in the moment because something told him to do it. Yeah, that's definitely mental illness. Mm -hmm. Andre claimed that he continued to hear voices, and he said he would see six-inch tall demons coming out of the prison walls, and they would play music from the band Queen. I mean, I don't hate his music choice. (laughs) At least it was good music. Yeah. He tried to kill himself yet again in 2008 by cutting his neck with a sharp object. The wound needed eight stitches. So he was very bad at killing himself. Mm -hmm. Or he just wanted the attention. I don't know. It's just one of those things I'll never understand. You can literally rip your own eyeball out and you can kill three human beings, but you've tried and failed like 10 times to kill yourself. I don't get it. Right. That is very strange. In 2008, there was a Texas Court of Appeals hearing, and the conviction was upheld. 
Judge Kathy Cothran said applicant is clearly crazy, but also sane under Texas law. Hmm. On December 9th, 2008, Andre removed his left eye and ate it. Uh, what? Yeah, he said the reason he removed it was to prevent the U.S. federal government from reading his thoughts, and he ate it so they couldn't put it back in. <laughs> so if they didn't think he was crazy before now, they think he's crazy. He, he was transferred to the Jester 4 unit, which houses prisoners with mental health problems. You would think they would have just put him in there right away. His defense attorney said that she was glad that he would finally get the psychiatric care he needs. It's just a, a little too late for, for all that. He ate his own he ate, yeah. eye. Uh, it's like when uh, oh, you stick your hand in a, a jar at a haunted house and mm. it's grapes, like peeled grapes, <laughs> yeah. but it's... Oh, my God. At least he couldn't see what he was doing. Can you imagine how much blood and... I don't know. Everything was just... Was it st- no, I don't want to go there. No, just keep Oof. going. Keep going. Keep There's going. too many All things right. in my brain going on with him, so... In 2020, his case was brought in front of the U.S. Court of Appeals... Attorney Catherine Carroll said that Thomas's previous legal representation had failed him. They didn't present an accurate account of his long-standing psychological problems. They presented a psychiatrist witness that didn't have experience with cases of drug-induced mental illness. Prosecutors said while there was evidence to support his mental illness, he was not insane. He was clearly insane. Mm-hmm. The fact that he even said that he was told by voices to kill Laura and that she was a Jezebel, like, I mean, all of that, the fact that you have that to me says insanity. It yeah. wasn't like, hi, I'm going to go like- kill her. Oh, I was told to because she is this m- biblical spirit. I feel like anytime you bring up the Bible in connection to something, it automatically should be insanity. Yeah. So I get, the prosecution wants him put to death, right? I'm okay with that too. Which I'm, yeah, I'm fine with that. I feel like he was competent in the fact that he knew what he did and that he understood why he was being executed. Like he knew he killed them. Well, after the fact, because he's medicated. Right. Is that what you is? Are you talking about that? Like after because after he killed him, you said five days later, he he pulled out his eyeball, his right one, and then quoted scripture. And then he asked about seeing Laura. So that right there tells me he did not know what he did. But then in court, he's drugged up. And and he. Apologizes to her family because, for what he did. Yeah, that now at that point he knew what he did, not when it happened. So them saying that he was competent to stand trial, yeah, he was competent in the trial to at, stand trial because he time. was medicated. But everything else leading up to that, the prosecution should have done better research into his past and saw that. It's not just the drugs. Well, regardless. I don't care. Regardless of if he's put to death or if he spends the rest of his life in a mental hospital. As long as he's not out doing it yeah, again. Yeah, as long as he's not walking amongst us as a civilian, he, there's no way in hell. His execution was actually supposed to be this month. Oh, really? But it was delayed, and his lawyers have until July 5th to prepare a request for another competency hearing. So we'll just have to see what comes from that. So that he was still going to be put to death regardless of uh, him? Well, they've had like a hundred or so faith leaders calling for clemency for for him. Mm -hmm. His attorneys 
saying like guiding this blind psychotic man to the gurney for execution offends our sense of humanity and serves no legitimate purpose? Uh, he lost his sense of humanity when he murdered three people, two being kids. Yeah. Sorry. If the death penalty is not intended for someone who cuts out the hearts of two children and a mother, then who is it intended for? Right. You know? It'd be different if they had some sort of, like, inclination that he didn't do it, like he was an innocent man on death row. Because you hear about cases like that all the time. You know he did it. Oh yeah, there's not a doubt in my mind he did it. I'm sure <laughs> he once confessed they confessed to doing it. I'm sure once they um, searched his apartment and found three fucking organs and Ziploc baggies in the trash and the three knives in his sink. Right. There's a reason I don't work in the court system. I'm sure. Oh, it's all flawed, anyways. And I'm sure the jury, who was supposed to be unbiased, couldn't see past what he did. So of course they're going to find him guilty. A first-degree murder. That's really hard to stay unbiased when it comes to kids, too. And being in Texas, I feel like... Well, he's now 30 years old. He is mentally ill. Can't even be housed on death row. He has to be in a mental ward, so... I mean, y'all tell us what should be done with him. That's the case of Andre Thomas. I feel like I don't even know what to say about it. It's a lot different than like the Ricky Ray Rector case where he was intellectually disabled. He did his IQ was was like real, real very low. low right? Very low. Andre Thomas, he was a smart kid growing up. He just had a poor environment and poor genetics. Mentally ill. And the Supreme Court has particular they have prohibited the death penalty for intellectually disabled, mm-hmm. but not for people with serious mental illness. It almost seems like his lawyers want to look good for public by fighting for him. Yeah, you that's, know what I'm saying? that's how the faith leaders are, too. Uh, the prosecuting attorney was saying, like, they're not even fully aware of the case and they haven't read any of the reports regarding his mental state. I'm sure it's a lot of race cards being pulled as well. Probably. For all those out there, if you can't tell, I am for the death penalty, especially in a necessity when it's like this, you know. So I'm sorry that he's going, he went through stuff. I'm sorry that he's mentally ill. I'm sorry for a lot of things in life, but I am not sorry if he gets lethal injection or the gas chamber, whatever it is that they do there in Texas, because he murdered three people and two were kids that couldn't do anything. Yeah, just look at what he did. Mm -hmm. I don't care what his mental health was. I was going to say it's an eye for an eye, but he has none, so. Yeah. That's crazy. I just, ugh. Like, like you want to feel for him because he did have a shitty upbringing and mental illness in his family, but like I said in the beginning, a lot of people have shitty upbringings and don't kill people. Yes. There's a lot of resources out there now. You just have to be willing to admit that you need help. And he never wanted help, it doesn't seem like, because he left the, the hospitals multiple times and didn't want anybody to do anything for him because I guess the doctors weren't going to prescribe him whatever pill he wanted or something like that because he was obviously more into drinking and doing drugs I feel like than anything else. You just really have to be there at the hospital and see what really happened and what was really going on. Like mm-hmm. he, he might have been acting a fool in there. We don't know. Or he could have looked like he was competent. Yeah. Like maybe whatever he did prior to that, was just like a short-lived episode, like a psychotic episode, and it passed while he was at the hospital. And they're like, oh, okay, he's he's fine, but we could keep him if we needed to. And then, of course, you know, he leaves. It's just hard to tell unless you're, you're Right there, there in the moment, yeah. yeah. I agree. That's a difficult one right there. Because there's so much that you... There's only so much that, like, NBC News or these other articles are going to tell you or that they even know themselves unless you're in that... Unless you're that doctor, unless you're talking to that doctor, mm-hmm. who knows? 
I'll never understand. I'm glad that we're okay in this house. I mean, I might be crazy about dogs, but that's about it. Ripley's a little psycho. I bet if we got Ripley her... Ripley is <laughs> a crazy bitch. If we got her diagnosed, she I think she's got a few personalities. <laughs> Especially after like 9 o'clock at night. She does have multiple personalities, <laughs> or she's bipolar or something. That girl is wild. We, I, we love her, though. We do. <laughs> she's some. So we got special guest this week for our bonus, correct? He hasn't bailed on us yet, I should say. So we're going to have a fun subject to talk about with him. I think we're doing that tomorrow. Yep, and we'll have it out Thursday. Yeah, we slacked on our bonus the last time. Life happens. It's okay, guys. Life happens. So until later this week. Stay local. Shop local. And murder local. <laughs>